Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Gary Wilson, this is the other side of midnight. Very lucky uh, to be able to join by be joined by one of my favorite Debbies once again, attorney, author, political commentator, and film critic, the one and only Debbie Schlussel. Hello, Debbie. Hi. Good De- morning. Good morning, Debbie. Uh, here we, we are seeing the Canadian wildfire smoke uh, set all sorts of records and uh, really caused all sorts of problems for people in the Northeast and then in the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, people in Ohio have been complaining about it. I know you're in Michigan. What have you seen up there with this wildfire smoke? Well, on the list of the worst air in the world, Detroit is number two. And last week, there was a day where we were number one. Um, and all the sky is very hazy. You can't see buildings so well that are in the distance and so on. It's really weird. I've never had anything like this before. Um, and I've lived here my entire life. And and the reason the air is so bad is all because of this wildfire smoke? Yes. And that's what I don't understand is why Detroit, of all the places that are south of Canada, um, I understand that it's, I think, um, Nova Scotia where some of the fires are. But still, why not northern New York? Why not northern Wisconsin? I know Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin has the haze as well, but it's not. The air in Detroit is the, the Detroit is the city with the air with the least quality, second least quality in the world. Do you think that uh, this might be the Canadians' attempt to target you? <laughs> Very funny, but you know what? There is that song, Blame Canada. Exactly. All right. Uh, well, good luck. So what do you do when it's that smoky? I guess you stay indoors, do legal work, and catch up on movies? Yeah, the, the same as I always do. All right. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad it's not causing too much of a uh, a lifestyle disruption. I want to ask you about movies, but I want to pick your brain on a few legal issues. Uh, a lot of people are... Very interested in this affirmative action case by the Supreme Court. Give me your take on what the court decided yesterday. Well, I've always been interested in this issue. I have been a victim of affirmative action, which is a nice word for racism 
And, uh, you know, I was glad that the Supreme Court finally, after almost 50 years of cases on this, um, beginning with, I believe, the first one was the Backey case, that the Supreme Court finally has said that race cannot be a factor. So I was really glad to see that. However, unfortunately, because this has been going on for so long, this is still going to happen. Um, I was the general counsel of the Michigan Civil Rights Initiative, which was Ward Connerly's ballot initiative in Michigan to get rid to disallow race in affirmative action um, in admissions and hiring at state institutions. And what the University of Michigan did was um, where they made race such an important factor that it was the deciding factor. Now what they do is they have essays and other ways that people know where they can communicate their race and they can communicate certain things that basically they will still get affirmative action. And if you look at the decision, the Roberts decision from uh, yesterday, Justice Roberts did say at one point in his decision that um, the experience of a life experience of a person with racism. So in other words, if they are the victim of racism can be a factor in admitting somebody. So basically, they're still kind of hedging their bets. Um, I don't like that at all. Race should be absolutely, absolutely outlawed as a factor, and I, and it shouldn't be a it shouldn't be the factor. It shouldn't be a factor. That's racism. It should not be allowed at all. And your experience with racism. To me, where it says that in the decision, if that can be a factor, to me, then race is a factor. I don't like that at all because, again, that's what universities and institutions use to try and get around a ban. Um, and you can bet that they will do it here. Also, the decision only applies to college admissions. Mm. Um, and so it does not apply to promotions and hiring. It does not apply to um, uh, other other factors like jobs, um, seeking. Sometimes you have companies that will only list certain job openings to minorities or in minority communities and so on. That's racist. If they only did that to white people and in white communities, that would be racist. So it's racist. Those kinds of things were not outlawed. And so I would like to see a total ban of all of that. We should be a merit-based society. Listen, diversity, inclusion, and equity is, it spells out the acronym DIE. And that's why they changed Mm. it to DEI. When you have a society that focuses on race rather than merit, rather than legitimate qualifications, you have a society that's mediocre and that will eventually die out. Societies that last are the ones that reward innovation, talent, and anything other than skin color, gender, and ethnicity. Affirmative action, by definition, is racist, sexist, and bigoted towards certain ethnicities. That's racism that's illegal, and it should be illegal 
in every single way. Now, so uh, we will see. Debbie, I uh, completely agree with you. I think uh, affirmative action is awful, and I, I agree with you legally, politically, ethically, morally uh, on everything that you said. But uh, just to play devil's advocate, some people may say, look, uh, why shouldn't a college, if it wants to, be able to take um, racial quotas or affirmative action into account when it determines what it wants its student body to look like? Why shouldn't DSU, Debbie Schlussel University, be able to decide we want 20% Asians when we look at admissions? Who is the government to tell them that this is prohibited? What do you say to that argument? Well, let's say I have a store and I only want like 1% black customers and I tell them, I'm sorry, I've reached my quota of black customers. I don't want my store to be known as a black establishment. So I'm sorry, black people, you can't come in. I can't serve you. I refuse to serve you. Not only is that racist, but anybody that did that would be prosecuted by the Justice Department Civil Rights Division. So that's basically what they are saying and doing. You know, part of this um, lawsuit was the ethnic, the Asian component at Harvard, because a group of Asian students sued Harvard. Now, why did they do that? Because Asians were being kept out of Harvard who had perfect SAT scores, had 4.0s or higher, um, had lots of activities on their resume, outstanding, outstanding resumes in favor of people who were the right skin right. pigment. And they found that if you were black and you applied to Harvard, you had 85 times better chance of getting in than if you were Asian. Should that be the case? That's ridiculous. Uh, at the University of Michigan, before we had the Michigan Civil Rights Initiative, which was supposed to do also what the Supreme Court decision yesterday is supposed to do, if you had a perfect SAT score, you were given two to three points on a point admission system, just two to three points for a perfect SAT score. If you were black, you got 18 to 20 points. Should your skin color be worth that? Like about no, six of course to, not. Of course not. Six times as much? It should not. That's outrageous. It's racism. And you know what? If we want to go to a complete free market with the way you're suggesting where a college can decide, well, I need to have this amount of this kind of student, then let's have a free-for-all for everybody. And what you're going to see is a lot of racist establishments and just throw the whole Civil Rights Act out the window. Uh, is that right? No, we should just be a, color, a truly colorblind society where merit and talent and your own hard work get you where you want to go. That's the way it should be. It is unfair when a point system gives somebody six times as many points for just because of the luck of the draw of how they were born. Right. What skin pigment pigment they were born with as somebody who has a perfect SAT score. That's outrageous. And it shouldn't be. Wait, wait you had a some, perfect SAT score. I did not. Oh, okay. But I, gotcha. I okay. can tell you this. I had a, I had a very high SAT score and I was a national merit scholar finalist. I also, and by the way, there was a woman in my high school. I went to a majority black high school. 
There was a woman in my high school who had far lower grades and test scores than I did, and she did become a National Merit Scholar. If I had been black, I would have been one, too. I was just a finalist, which still was a good achievement. But, you know, if you actually are a National Merit Scholar, you get a lot of scholarships. You get a lot. It's it's a cash. It's got tremendous cachet in admissions and, and in terms of funds for college. Um, I was a National Merit Scholar finalist. I took several languages. I had very high scores on all the standardized tests. We are in a country now where many of the elite universities no longer look at your test scores. They no longer consider it. Why? Because if they did consider test scores, then they would not be able to practice this racism. Um, And unfortunately, they want to be able to practice that. It's totally unfair. And by the way, if they want diversity, why don't they have diversity of thought? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, well, uh, I I, I completely agree, uh, Debbie. What was your SAT score, by the way? Well, it was 1490. Wow. And I think that's that's pretty high. My ACT score was 34 out of 36. You took both the ACT and the SAT? Yes. Okay. I mean, usually you take one or the other, but uh, leave it to Debbie. Debbie, uh, Debbie, you know, you always go above and beyond. I want to pick your brain on one or two other legal issues. Uh, I, I'm always interested because the Supreme Court is always so polarized and you get these decisions where the left-wing justices are on one side, the right-wing justices are on another, and it seems like a lot of these justices, while they're all very smart people, they don't necessarily agree on anything. And I'm always interested in the unanimous cases. And there was one unanimous decision yesterday where the Supreme Court made it easier for employees to win religious accommodations at work, siding with a Christian mail carrier who wanted to remain off on Sundays so he could attend church and honor the Sabbath. Case of Gerald Groff of Pennsylvania. We're heard in Pennsylvania right now. Uh, Who knows? Maybe he's listening right now. I have a feeling you side with the unanimous Supreme Court on this one, Debbie. Well, yes and no. You know, I was very, very interested in this case because I keep the Jewish Sabbath. So he was a Sunday Sabbath guy. I'm a Friday night till Saturday night uh, Sabbath person for Jews. And I have lost out on opportunities and jobs because I told them I could not work on Saturday. And if I were a person that was more cunning, I would never have told them that. I would have just done the interview. And then once I get the job and then they said, oh, no, no, you have to work on Saturday or we're going to have to withdraw the job, then I could have sued them and maybe I would have won. But under the previous standard, I probably would not have won because the standard was not reasonable accommodations. It was a de minimis standard where they really didn't have to do much to accommodate such a person. Um, And this man, who Mr. Groff, who sued, was a U.S. Postal uh, Service employee, and he could he did not want to work on Sunday because it was his Sabbath. 
and being a very devout Christian, he was an evangelical. Um, and he was willing to work, you know, much harder on the rest of the week to, on the rest of the week and make up for the time. And that was not good enough for, for them. They did not want to accommodate him even in the least because of this de minimis standard, meaning they only had to minimally try to accommodate. Now that standard has changed um, and they're going to have to do more to accommodate him. I, I do like that. On the other hand, I was always taught by my parents, you know, we are religious Sabbath observant Jews. Sometimes you, you know, for your religion, you have to sacrifice. And if you lose out on jobs, you lose out on certain things. That's because of the religious choices you made. And the whole world shouldn't have to accommodate you. We don't want the world to have to give you special favors to accommodate you. That's part of the religion. You made these sacrifices. So uh, I I kind of a, am of a mixed opinion on that. I've never, I, I have lost out on things, as I said earlier, but I've never made anyone really accommodate me, except I've had a couple of occasions recently where a court wanted me to appear on, on uh, the first day of Passover, and I had to go through a whole mess to get them to accommodate wow. me, which I was surprised. So I do agree with that decision to some extent. Now, I did want to just say one other thing about the affirmative action case, because this is something that I, I am so interested in, and I think it affects a lot of people. If you're interested in diversity, if a, an institution is interested in diversity, why is it based solely on skin color? Because what happens at Harvard and a lot of these universities, these elite universities, is they end up admitting the, the top of the top in terms of income black Americans who came from very wealthy households. And so they do lose out on diversity because a black guy in a polo shirt who comes from a mansion really in many cases is the same as a white guy in a polo shirt who comes from a mansion. Whereas there's a white guy from a disadvantaged family in Appalachia or Northern Michigan or somewhere in rural Wisconsin. And they're poor. They faced adversity, but because they were born white, Somehow their point of view is is not part of the diversity that counts. So to me, it's about um, sort of like what George Orwell said in Animal Farm. All of the animals in the barnyard are equal, but some are more equal than (laughs) others. They're really not interested in diversity. And I lost out when I applied to the Georgetown School of Foreign Service. The person who did the interviews... um, told me because he happened to know my mother and later on he wrote a letter to Georgetown and got kicked off their alumni committee because of this. He told me he rated me a five, which was the highest score, or I'm sorry, a nine, which was the highest score he'd ever given. He told me that the person that got the spot at Georgetown School of Foreign Service over me was a woman from a family of very wealthy black executives at Ford Motor Company. She went to a very fancy, expensive school. I went to public school. She had a a grade point that was in the 2.0 range, and I had a much higher grade point average. Um, I was a 3.9. She had very few extracurricular activities. I had many. Um, She did terrible on the standardized tests, and I had very high scores. So it was solely based on skin pigment right. and she was from a wealthy much wealthier family than I was it was totally unfair it's discrimination period 
Uh, Debbie, one other legal issue I want to ask you. Well, actually, one other Supreme Court issue and then one brief legal issue. The U.S. Supreme Court has also left in place a lower court decision ruling that a North Carolina school cannot require its female students to wear skirts. If people haven't been following this case, I think it was a very interesting one. A federal court found last year that this school had violated the constitutional rights of its female pupils with its uniform rules. The Charter Day School appealed against the ruling all the way to the Supreme Court, and the justices declined to hear the appeal. So as of now... Schools cannot require girls to wear a skirt. Right decision, wrong decision, what do you think? So when you said why can't a school set its own uh, ethnic uh, ratios and quotas, that's different than, in my opinion, than requiring women to wear skirts. I think a lot of schools do have uniforms where they require women to wear skirts. Sometimes it's for religious reasons. I went to Jewish day schools where the women had to wear skirts out of religious views and beliefs. Other schools, I know that the University of Michigan Dental School used to require women who are studying to become dental hygienists to wear a certain uniform that some might have considered sexist. I don't know. To me, a uniform is a lot different than, oh, you're born uh, with a black skin complexion and you're born with a white skin complexion. I'm going to give the person who's black an extra leg up because just because I've decided I want to in the name of diversity. I think requiring women to wear skirts is, is to me, something that they should be allowed to do. I know that some people might think that's very old fashioned. I myself, you know, you prefer, especially if it's in the winter, maybe to wear pants or to wear leggings or something like that. In other, you know, in the summer, I prefer to wear skirts. Uh, Sometimes women want to wear one or the other out of comfort. And that might seem old fashioned to say, hey, you have to wear skirts. But to me, that's more of a that is more of a free market issue, and I do think the government should stay out of something like that. If you don't like the skirt requirement, go somewhere else. That's not the same as race or gender or um, you know uh, disability or something like that. That's a lot different. And um, the last legal issue I want to get your take on is this lawsuit that Donald Trump is bringing against E. Jean Carroll. Obviously, E. Jean Carroll had sued Donald Trump for defamation, and she alleged that uh, he had raped her. And the jury found, this jury of six men, three women, found that uh, Trump did defame her, but that he did not rape her, as she had long claimed. Now Trump is countersuing. How do you think this case is going to go? We've seen with Trump, sometimes he likes to file lawsuits just for publicity or to maintain the moral high ground. Other times, they become very substantive legal issues. Which category does this fall in? Well, you know, when we discussed this previously, I said that I was very opposed to the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit because it was about something that happened many years ago, and she had a loophole in the law where they reopened it that people could sue over alleged sexual assault from years earlier. And suddenly she came forward where she had never mentioned it before. I don't like that at all. And so I think what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And so, you know, I'm glad Trump is suing her. 
Um, and, but unfortunately, he's got a New York audience that's going to be seated in the jury panel, especially a New York City audience. And that's why he lost the lawsuit in the first place or a big reason. I think he also probably should have shown up to court and mounted a better defense and taken it more seriously. Um, on the other hand, with a New York jury, I think they're against him. They're very liberal. And so he probably would lose his suit. But I am glad that he's turning around uh, E.G. Carroll's methods here and making her face the same music that she made him face. I think that that lawsuit, as well as the one about paying off the Playboy Playmates, are the two most ridiculous, baseless uh, forms of litigation that he has been facing of late. All right, uh, let's talk movies. Uh, to putting aside all this legal stuff, uh, the only new movie that's gotten a lot of attention that uh, that's coming out this weekend seems to be the new Indiana Jones film. I'm a fan of the Indiana Jones franchise, and I'm amazed that Harrison Ford uh, looks as great as he does at 80 years old. How is this new Indiana Jones film? So it's better than I expected, but I still didn't. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. Um, It lacks the magic of the, I would say, first, at least first and maybe second and third Indiana Jones movies. I hated the last movie where uh, Steven Spielberg was trying to uh, groom Shia LaBeouf. I think this was in 2008 to become the next Indiana Jones, and that didn't work out too well. Um, One of my favorite movies of all time is the... Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, the very first one. The scene with the Nazis melting is probably one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. There's nothing as great and as fulfilling in this new movie. That said, the beginning scene goes back in time during World War II. They do use the weird CGI. It is a little strange, but still not bad. Um, where they de-age Harrison Ford for the beginning scene and several of the scenes of the movie. It is a little herky-jerky. There are flashbacks. The movie is over two and a half hours long, so it's way over stuff. It's too long. It's a little slow. Um, They could have sped it up and cut a lot out of it. Um, I'm not sure I really liked the story. He does look great for 80. You know, to me, he looks like a very good, well-preserved, 60, I mean, 70, um, there is a a very interesting cameo with somebody else who's very well-preserved at the very end. Um, Antonio Banderas is also in it, and you could barely recognize him, and mm. you think, is that him? Is that not him? Um, it was okay. Um, I would say don't drink a lot of liquids beforehand <laughs> because there's no intermission, um, and it is very long. Um but again, it lacked the magic. It was a little a bit of a cockamamie wild goose chase that the other ones I thought were a lot more fulfilling and more entertaining. And I just think there was no reason to make this with the 80-year-old. It takes place right after the moon landing and during the Vietnam War. And we find a much older Indiana Jones divorced and his son died serving in Vietnam. And I thought to myself, if I think of all these people I've seen in the movies in the 80s, do I want to see them when they're much older, divorced, bitter, 
retiring and their child, their only child, died in a war? Would we want to see that about Superman? Mm. Would we want to see that? I I just don't know that I would want to see that. Uh, All that being said, with all its shortcomings, it sounds like if someone's a fan of the franchise and they really like Indiana Jones and they really like uh, Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, that it might be worth checking out, especially if you're hiding from the smoke this weekend. I agree. I just think an 80-year-old guy doing a lot of the stunts and a lot of the a lot of the, and I know he is stuntman and all that, but I'm just saying it's just not believable, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff. But then a lot of the stuff in the first few movies wasn't believable either. Right. I just think there's stuff in here that's like, uh, you know, um, science fiction and weird. It's not the original, that's for sure. But yes, you, you might like it if you're a longtime Indiana Jones fan as I am. Debbie, it is always a treat to talk with you. Uh, Thanks for getting up early for us, as always. I hope you have a great Independence Day weekend. You doing anything fun this weekend? Um, No, just relaxing and trying to de-stress, taking it easy. That, to me, is fun, trying to enjoy the outdoor weather once the air maybe hopefully cleans up a little bit. When, When are you coming to New York and paying us a visit in studio, Debbie? I'm not sure, but I will try and make it sooner rather than Absolutely. later. Absolutely. We hope so. All right. Happy Independence Day, Debbie. Appreciate the time. All right. There you have it. Indiana Jones, it sounds like to me, if you're going to sum up Debbie's review, and this is similar to other reviews that I've heard of it, it's worth seeing, but you have to go in with low expectations. That's what it sounds like to me. I still want to see it. All right. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we have covered thus far. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.